0: Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite Powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlider is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appsflyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. I think what's become clearer, certainly in the last few years as competition in the game industry has really stepped up, is that there's a fundamental difference between a great game and a great game business. You know, you could be super lucky, your
1: game is an instant hit, it's resonating with users. But for when that's not the case, or even when you just want to take your game growth to the next level, that's where we come in. So we've developed a really incredible platform that's designed to make you as powerful and as capable as possible in growing your game, whether that's growing your game revenue or growing your user base.
0: That was Melissa Zeloff, VP of Marketing at IronSource. Welcome everybody to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today my guest is Niklas Hedegaard or Nicholas <laughs> coaches, startup CEOs, CTOs, co-founders, tech leads, executives, and investors, both in the US as well as in the Europe. Before his coaching role, uh, Nicholas, I would just say before you started coaching, you founded Gondola that was acquired by Tilting Point in 2019, and Gondola was a, service, a software as a service company that... Derived out of a gaming company that he founded first. So Nicholas, long history in games, long history in coaching different types of leaders. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast.
1: Twenty nineteen.
0: <laughs> nobody counts the COVID years last because it dis- just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was sometimes last month. We don't remember episode. Whatever, just Google it or search it. Anyway, <laughs> so it, like you. You do a very very interesting job as coaching. Leads, and um, I've had a I've had a leadership coach. I don't know how that panned out. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> he doesn't send me Christmas cards, so we don't know. <laughs> so maybe I'm not his best pupil, but definitely trying to get better. So, so this is a, a topic that is close to me, but topic probably close to everybody because no, well, not everybody, but most of the people, because most of the people are either in a leadership position or are striving to become some kind of a lead or a, or a manager, and and uh, getting coaching is fundamental. But I wanted to start off with something that is interesting, fun, and anecdotal. (laughs) And that is like the most remarkable turnaround you've experienced when coaching an executive or a lead. Can you tell any stories about those?
1: Yeah, one particular person comes to mind. Uh, you, you can say names. There's no. Yeah, problem. but I won't. Uh, <laughs> but uh, one particular person comes to mind, uh, engineer uh, as technical um, and then became as these. you know, as, as things go, you know, uh, uh Technical co founder in a startup. And it, it was the thing, you know, looking at your headphones right now, you know, big headphones, coding all day, yeah. super introverted, shy, <laughs> uh, pretty uncomfortable around people. You know, we, we all know the type. And then as the company yes. grew uh, and the team grew, you know, also the technical uh, team, he really started struggling with his role because all of a sudden, you know, it's like people tipping on the shoulder. It's like, hey, how do I do this? Or what am I supposed to prioritize? And all that. And it's like, huh? what? Oh, okay. <laughs> And, um, so that became a growth issue for the company. And then he decided, uh, to take on the challenge and completely got out of his comfort zone and went pretty deep into the human side of things. Right. So, Hey, I have all of this technical stuff figured out, but you know, how are humans actually wired and, you know, what do these guys need, need from me? And, you know, how can I uh, immerse myself in that role? And uh fast forward today, um, about you know year and a half, two years later, there's hardly any coding. Uh the guy became a great leader. Uh from what I hear from people, you know, they love working with him. And uh yeah, so it's a really remarkable transition, acquired a completely you know new skill set and also a new way of thinking. And I think I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in a couple of years down the road, if there is another company to be founded, you know, he might even be in the CEO seat. Uh, I think he definitely has what it takes. So that that's a very remarkable transition that I witnessed.
0: So I wanna ask a couple of questions regarding that, because normally when we go through these transitions when somebody turns from how 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 is this transition started in the best way? It's a great question. I think usually it started out of necessity.
1: I think nobody really wakes up, it's like, oh, I'm 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 not busy at all. You know, let, let let me let me make myself into a leader.
0: Well, I wouldn't say so. I would say usually it started based on in order to progress in their career, they have to assume a leadership position. Like in order to move forward, I have to be a CTO. That's true. And then they're if if they are self-reflective, which is always helpful, then they're
1: starting to wonder, so what's the difference between where I am a, at right now and between a CEO that i maybe am working for or used to work for you know that that i enjoyed working for that i admire you know and and and, and what's the gap in between um i still think from everything i've seen leadership is something that cannot really uh, be acquired you know in, in in a vacuum in a laboratory um there there need to be people that are with you on that journey, you know, people that you can lead or people that lead you um, as you're, you're moving up the ladder. So I think to answer your question, I think the best starting point is, 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 is kind of a mindset, right? It's just like, you know, do I want to grow? Do I want to stay where I am and, you know, continue to be good at what I'm good at? Or, or is there something where I'm willing to throw myself out there, uh, get a couple of broken bones on the bloody nose a- along the way, you know. But but it is my understanding that that's what it takes to grow, and I'm
0: I'm I'm willing to take on that challenge and uh, you know see what happens. Hmm. So with business people, with people with a business background, this is easy. Uh-huh. they would be like, finally, I'm I'm getting people under me. Like this is <laughs> what I've been what I've been reading about. For, finally, like, I can be an authoritarian. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But with 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 technical people, like I've seen, I've seen both. I've seen Technical leads assuming leadership position after after you know excelling technically, and and really blossoming, which is a- awesome to see. Like like their personality changes; they go from this uh, grumpy World of Warcraft player into a guild leader. <laughs> so no nobody technical <laughs> is listening leader. to nobody technical is listening to this their confidence as they're being coached, as they're being respected, as they get. Uh, you know, as they get some 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 wins, as they get more more people joining their team, and suddenly they're taking part in conversation. They are giving their opinion where previously they were kind of quiet on on the corner, and and then eventually people kind of expect them to say something, and that's when you know that they've assumed a elite position. But I've always also those type of skills. So what I'm tr- what I'm trying to understand is like when- I'm going to come up with a, with a random name, Joey. Um, Let's call him uh, Joey right. Let's say it Jack. I was I was going for a Turkish name because I we just received some fan mail from Turkey. Uh but let's not go there. Uh but let's go with like Joey. Like Joey, Joey has, has been doing a great job and and you know, to grow, uh to let go of the technical aspect of the work. She understands that that, that should be a part of it. And now Nicholas comes to the picture. Where do you start? Like how, how does it start?
1: Well, so so they're the two different ways this usually comes about um the one is the the situation that you just described where somebody you know has has the willingness to 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 move forward understands that there are certain things that need to happen in order to assume that role and and they just decide to get help um quite frankly, you know, as as we all do for a lot of different other, you know, legal tax and whatever needs, right? So it's just like, hey, I'm, I just want to make this easier on myself and want to progress faster. So I'm, I'm going to get some help. Uh, that's usually a fantastic starting point, because then you have the openness and all of that. And, you know, and somebody's motivated. Um uh, The first question I usually ask, even like in an email conversation is, you know, what makes you interested in coaching? And if you then get already four or five bullet points back, right, you know, it's like, okay, this, this, this is going to be fun, to be honest, right? Startup or or bigger company, um, you know, from A to B, and I can, you know, help a little along the way. And that's a very rewarding thing. The other situation that I've also encountered several times is where it's usually either this, you know, somebody else from the C-suite, um, maybe a more senior member of the C-suite, um, an investor or somebody from the advisor. It will somebody who sees a bit of a delta between what is required and what is happening right now. And, uh, and, and essentially says, you know, whether if it's a CEO, I can't deal with this anymore. Right. I'm just like grooming behind Joey all day long, you know, (laughs) trying to clean up that human mess that gets created. People walk up to me. It's like, did did, did she really mean this? God damn it. Joey's horrible. (laughs)
0: Let's give her some help.
1: Let me explain. Um, or it's just, just you know, honestly, like from an investor, it's just like, hey, guy is super skilled, right? But this company is growing fast. Mm-hmm. There's like twelve engineers right now, and we're we're paying them, you know, an arm and a leg, and we're not putting them really to work because there's no there's no coherent leadership. So something needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a trickier situation because uh, you know, when, when, when you get an email or a text message that says X and Y said I should reach out to you. Oh right? my, <laughs> you already <laughs> interested in coaching. It's like. Not not really sure, but they yeah. said I should talk. Oh yeah, so sometimes that works out. Uh, so, sometimes it doesn't, but this is usually how how I get into the picture.
0: Yeah, I would assume the uh, the later one is because somebody if somebody is reaching out, they're probably reading already some books and and they're you know being self reflective. They have some questions, but um, I've normally been in a situation where the company provides a, a leadership coach. And you kind of get one as you as you get to a certain position. And um, yeah, like that—that that was that was the scenario that I that was kind of kind of going through. Because when I got my first leadership coach, uh, I didn't get to choo- choose my leadership coach. I was naturally very excited, but I didn't know what to expect. Like, and and it was um, it was um, it probably came in too early. Like it was it, it just came like I wasn't prepared. You know what I mean? Like like I feel like you have to get a few bumps. and a coach would make a lot of sense. <laughs>
1: that's very interesting that you mentioned that because I have witnessed that as well. There are always a lot of exceptions to the rule, right? But, um, I want to say not that somehow the sweet spot of people that at least over the last six months have reached out to me is somewhere between usually 32 and 37, right? Definitely got a couple of battle scars, a couple of things under their belt, um, have, have, usually very well funded, you know, 100 people company, um, but somehow find these impasses, right? Somehow find these patterns that always reemerge, right? Whether that is, you know, I seem to always be hiring the wrong people or, you know, I struggle with this and, you know, oh, my I, I want my team to be more entrepreneurial, right? And take more agency, but they are not doing this, you know, how come and all of that. And eventually they get to the point where, you know, either somebody suggested to them or, or they just figure it out by themselves, and then they are, have very specific things that they want to work on. And then, as far as you know, so so you you said you know I had no idea what working with a coach looks like. Um, I think it highly depends on the coach and on your style, right? It's like uh, uh, same thing as you know, if you had a personal trainer or a therapist or something, everybody will you know follow follow different kinds of uh, mm-hmm. well schools of thoughts, so, so to speak. But I always like you know having been an entrepreneur myself for. A decade. Um, I know these guys are super busy. Uh, there's always 10 different fires to put out. And, and so I generally like to go with that momentum that organically comes. So I, I literally, I don't show up with a, with a, starts pouring out of them and it's always something that's going on right now. You know, usually something that's tricky and that's difficult. So what happens is, uh, two things on the one hand, you know, I help them work through that situation. I'm not going to promise I solve it for them, but I help them solve it themselves. Uh, and then along the way, you know, we zoom out a little, and then so in the abstract, you know, what's the issue here? What are, what can we learn from this? And uh, and that is what I have found to be by far the most effective way uh, to work with you know entrepreneurs and leaders, uh, especially in the gaming world, but also differently because it's, it's, it's not yet another thing that they have to do, that they have to focus, you know, this additional skill that they need to acquire, but it's rather, you know, I have a confidant that, that helps me with the stuff that's really going on in, in, in my work life right now. And uh, so I guess they're looking forward to, to, to that.
0: Yeah, that's a, um, so, so my, my kind of like a reflection before we move on into, into other questions, like my reflection of getting a coach. Was that even though I got one <clears throat> relatively early, I still got it too late. You know what I mean? <clears throat> like it would be better to get it before you assume that leadership position because there would be, because every, <clears throat> when you assume a leadership position, you're, you're kind of take, you know, it depends on the people, but, but your first kind of a month or first week, all of those are very important. And that's where you're kind of, becoming the lead like you're you're choosing your way it would have been much better in in every situation that i've been a lead to have a coach before that being like all right so how are we going to do this like let's just talk about it and then somebody say, like hey dude just hold off like let's like there's different situations there's there's a situation where you're coming as a new person to an existing team that requires a very different situation than when you're building team out of scratch uh where somebody might be coaching you of like okay what kind of a team like how are we doing what is the vision how you how you approach it how you take your your hires how do you start coaching your first employees or something like that like that's maybe more of a or of a company building uh but even you know as as it scales up it's a different approach of that versus taking over a command versus coming to a situation where something has happened uh something negative uh some kind of a rupture that has led to a need for a coach where uh you know where now you're coming in to kind of like help to fix the leadership problem. You know what I mean?
1: I do. Uh and I think what you're saying is, you know, so I I I got it early but it was still too late. Um uh you know the coach in me wants to wants to say right now tell me more, right? Like tell me more of <laughs> what what was going on. So that's how a coaching conversation would would, would go right now. Yeah. But I think what you're trying to illustrate is that so i came in right i didn't really know what to expect or what to do and in retrospect i can say that if i had had the opportunity to just you know reflect a little on what i really wanted to do right like not what somebody was you know coming exactly. from the outside but what did i want to do with that existing yes. team that i all of a sudden you know was was put on top of or like growing this team you know what are the uh, what's the spirit that I wanted to establish here, and and you know, on what was my role in um, in getting there? Um, sure, I mean, if 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 you jump in right, and and then you're trying to you know assemble the airplane or assemble the the, the parachute, you know, on the on the way down, then um, uh, there, there there will be a, a couple of hiccups along the way that maybe could have been avoided. So I think I know what you're saying. At the same time. Do you think you would have been ready for that, you know, before you made all the experiences that you apparently
0: made along the way? I think, yeah. I think I think the important part, like even going back through my leadership coaching and and now using a lot of mentors, is like now I know how to ask the difficult questions from from the uh, from other you know other CEOs, let's say, uh, and be like, hey, how do you how do you deal with a with a feeling of a failure, for example? Like those type of things, like, you know, more of like existential type of a long, long winded discussions uh, that are, that are really interesting and and kind of help you to change your mental model. But in, in the situation of prior, like when you're a young lead um, you're coming, like different people take it differently, but you may come in with a force. Like I got a few days to show everybody what's up and, you know, I'm coming in, I'm cleaning things up. And if at that point be like, all right, tell me what you're gonna do. I'm like, you know, we're gonna this, we're gonna this, and they're like, okay. So, how are you gonna get the team behind what you're thinking about doing? I'm like, um, just gonna present the well, plan. Are they, aren't they not gonna <laughs> just follow me because of who I am? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Just like they, they for sure they see this great plan that I have. So, yeah, we're just going to, we're just going to nail it. Like, what are you talking about? And, and with those type of situations, like, all right, so, you know, and then we can go to various different methods of whether the person likes to hear about different examples or different approaches where maybe you should focus on like, what's your core team? Like, it's, it's all about as an, as a lead, you should be empowering the team and multiplying the team and making uh, helping them to do the job and then steering the direction kind of showing the way but not pushing people through it like necessarily or do or being like the first one ahead kind of like clearing the route like you should be guiding the people so so that was that's that's definitely the mistakes that i've done too many times just like kind of just jumped in and firefight into a firefight and kind of like i'll do it myself type of attitude which is absolutely wrong attitude for a lead um and absolutely wrong way to approach it so that's what i mean is like having those type of discussion in advance could have saved a lot of headaches that came in later. Oh, Amen. <laughs> All right. So, so let, let's talk about a little bit about yourself. Like how did you get started with the, with executive coaching?
1: Uh, bit coincidental. So Donal got acquired, you, you mentioned that and, um, and I wasn't sure what to do. Uh, I didn't want to start another company right away. I had certain thoughts, but then it was just like, no, now it's not the right time. You know, we, uh, 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 I was two weeks away from, you know, having kid number two and all that. I knew it was going to be busy. So didn't want to do that. And, uh, and then two things happened. So the first one is because I was pretty clueless, I sought help of an executive coach myself. And I literally showed up and it's like, okay, this is me. I'm, uh, you know, this, this is my pedigree. These are all of the things I, I did. You know, I used to be a lawyer and then I did this whole games thing and then this other and now I acquired and, you know, now I'm 40 and like, what, what am I going to do with all of this? I can tell you about a lot of things that I don't want to do, but I don't really know what to do with it. And uh, and then surprisingly, the outcome was, why don't you go <laughs> and coach, you know, tech leads and startup CEOs? And my, my initial reaction was, what? No, you, you 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 didn't get what I was looking for. And then I I thought about it more and realized that it checked pretty much all of my boxes of what I wanted to do, and you know how I how I could stay, you know, very closely uh involved in the gaming world and then the entrepreneurial world and all of that uh, without you know running a company myself. And uh, so so that appealed to me. And then the other thing is my gondola co-founder Andre Cohen at some point said to me, why don't you do with other people what you did with me? And I was like, what are you talking about that? Right. And then he explained, hey, when I met you, um I thought every uh, you know problem in the world had a technical solution. And now, after all of these years of working together, you know I've very much come to appreciate that there are at least fifty percent of the issues, not only in this world, but also you know that that you walk into as an entrepreneur uh, don't have a technical solution, right? They they require the human craft, as as he called it, and the finesse and all of that. And 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 so he was very encouraging and said, "Hey, I think there there's a lot of value there. So why don't you go do that?" And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up, you know, giving executive coaching a shot, and uh, I've. Never regretted it. And what kind of clients do you tend to work with? Like more technical or it's it's almost 50-50, I want to say, right now. So they are typically founders or tech leads of companies up on up to 150 people. And then there's a scale, right? So you might have, you know, somebody as as we you know, like like we talked about before, you know, highly technical tech lead or C CTO that wants to acquire the skills that we, we spoke about. You also, um, I also have people, you know, that have no technical background, you know, like straight up business backgrounds, the CEO, um, but also, you know, are human and, and walk into, you know, a lot of <laughs> that role. Um, and then there's, there's the middle where we have people that um, have, you know, as, as far as the education goes, you know, they come from the engineering and technical and, and natural sciences side, um, but are now in a, in a CEO role, right? But you know, deep down inside, they're they're still the engineer, and so how do you bring these together? So uh, yeah, and it's almost evenly distributed
0: between these three groups, uh, I would say. Do do you find it it's that it's easier to coach uh, people who are business background like MBAs uh, rather than than the uh, the you know hardcore technical people, no. who mainly talk to computers. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> and, and and I can tell you
1: that the reason. <laughs> how easy or hard it is to coach somebody depends on two things. It depends on their willingness to, you know, challenge their own assumptions. Um, and I cannot say that, you know, one educational background is more likely to do that than the other. I think that has more to do with personality um, and simply just like, you know, experience and where they're at. Um, so so that's the, the one aspect. The other aspect is... Uh, quite frankly, it's chemistry, right? Because I play a significant role in how easy or difficult this is either, right? And and there's the saying, uh, you know, among coaches, it's like, you know, it's always easy, you know, to blame a client on oh, being difficult and he doesn't do that and all of that. But, you know, what you really should do uh, is then some self-reflection, uh, you know, on your own part and ask, you know, maybe my my existing method is uh, it doesn't work for this guy and I have to adjust. So, um I can't say what's easier. It, it it really has a lot to do with
0: the relationship that you have with your client, and that's also something I really focus on. Yeah. Okay. And how how long does a does a coaching um, like how what's the structure of a coaching that that you typically do? Like, if I reflect back to my coaching, it was like uh, maybe once a month for, uh, for a relatively, you know, like maybe six or something like that a month. So not not very. I don't do once a month, uh,
1: because that is from my perspective. There's so much happening, especially with an entrepreneur, like any, any C-level person between, you know, November 1st and December 1st that, um, this was at a corporation. So yeah, it's a different, (laughs) but obviously I can only do my job well if I have context, right? So if we spend out of an hour session, you spend 40 minutes telling me all of the stuff that's going on, all of the train wrecks that you know, have happened in between and all of that, in order for me to understand what it is that you are currently challenged with, then that's not going to be very efficient. So I I usually like to spend a little bit of time in the beginning of, you know, just understanding their business. Uh, then I spend a lot of time on understanding who they are, you know, and where they want to go. And then I either do weekly or biweekly, and what I also offer mm-hmm. to a lot of clients is 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 like we can add uh, ad hoc coaching on top of that. So it's the thing is less like yo, uh, my main investor just told me to go f myself, right? Jesus Christ, what am I going to do? How am I going to communicate this? Who will I call first? I'm completely freaking out. So yeah, text me, call me. I promise I'll get back to you in, you know, 24 hours. Usually I manage to do this way quicker and then, you know, you have you have somebody uh, that is exclusively focused on you, and you know, not on the rest of the company, helping you work through this. And then, as far as the duration goes, so th- that's as far as frequency goes. I think you have to meet at least every other week um, in the in the beginning in order to get somewhere. And uh, and a lot of coaches out there would disagree with me, but that's how I do it. And as far as the duration goes, that really depends on your goal. So uh, two different things, you know, either. You know, you're, you're looking for something that's a little more open ended. You know, it's like, hey, we reordering renew every month for as long as you as as you want. And uh, and if you know, and if if I've made myself obsolete, then that's great because that's that's eventually the goal that I have, right? That you can do all of these things without me. That's eventually where we want to get. Um, so there's that. Um, but then there's also something that I've I've started a couple of months ago. Where I do these in, intensive things, so it's essentially, hey, this is what we can do for two months, right? So in the beginning, you know in the uh, we meet you know the first two weeks, we meet four to five times, right? So we really get a jump start. You know afterwards, we meet once a week and um, and we try to you know work through things and progress very, very quickly. I'm getting much more involved in in your you know day to day you know sea level life uh, than I otherwise would. And, uh, if we weren't in a pandemic, that would probably also entail, you know, that I hang out with you at the office for a day or two mm, shadowing shatter as, as, as a fly on the wall, because that's where, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, interesting observations can be made. And then we do that. And then it's up to you. If you know, after the two months, you say, Hey, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, moving on. Or if you say, Hey, I, I want to, you know, continue with this lower cadence.
0: So it, how. I'm curious, like how how open people are for shadowing, because it sounds weird, right? Like I would walk into a room, like ah, oh, that's that's Nicholas. He's uh, he's my leadership coach. <laughs>
1: he's my leader. As
0: you were, yeah, that, <laughs> as that, you were. That,
1: that is. So because I only really got started, you know, 2020. Um, the, the the honest answer is, I would have loved to do it, and I've also discussed that with two clients. You know that that would be great. But there hasn't really been an opportunity. Actually, one of those clients, they don't even have an office anymore. So I, what, am I going to shadow him on Zoom calls like 12 hours a day? Like, no,
0: that, that's even better. You, just like an avatar there. You, <laughs>
1: hey, you can apparently run... Coach Harriger. <laughs> exactly. He's just like, oh, yeah, it's like over here in, in, in the picture. No, but you can apparently very well run a 100-people tech company without an office. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's what I'm witnessing. So yeah, I agree. The shadowing could be weird. Um, but I would assume it's it's something like, you know, reality TV, where in the beginning, it's weird if you have like the camera following you. And at some point, they apparently just based on seeing their behavior, all forget that there is a
0: camera, you know, that is following them. And, and I, I could see that that's the same thing. Oh, that that would be fantastic because you know that's that's just interesting. Yeah, but it probably be great for a coach to kind of see what is it like because you're getting only one type of a picture from the client's perspective of like the leadership challenges. But then you would go in, you'd be like, see how how the person interacts with his or her team. That might be, and a, also how, how, how
1: a, he or she responds to certain situations, right? And uh, and what happens? And and then there's all of the communication that happens without words. Mm-hmm. You know, facial expression, tone, body language, and all of that. And yeah, uh, that like
0: staff be, meeting must be, staff, staff, staff meeting, meeting be is, gold. It would be ultra rich uh, in, in Super data. Super great. Super rich. <laughs> <data>. <laughs> yeah, because that that's essentially the team that reports to the CEO. Yeah. Uh, it just generally with direct reports, I mean,
1: you pick up on a lot of these things, you know, when, when you, when you hear the anecdotes, it's like, oh yeah, at this meeting and he or she did this and that again, and all of that, right. And it's like taking notes and then you start, you know, asking questions afterwards. It's like, okay, so, uh, uh, but yeah,
0: that's a different story. So, so how do you track the progress of, of leaders? Like, like, like how do they know that they're getting better? Or is more like psychology, where it just feels good to to talk to somebody.
1: Yeah. Well, so so the first of all, um, so I, I guess there are two different questions. The first one is how do I track their progress? That's relatively easy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm you, you won't see me do an excel where i try to quantify their progress like oh yeah. not, last week he was a four out of ten and you know <laughs> <laughs> and this week i think he graduated to the six out of ten i i, I
0: don't or just use like a net promoter score yeah exactly i, <laughs> I don't think you know a or something.
1: no i i don't think that uh, that that's realistic um so but but for me you, you just see how they respond to situations and usually they, they just report back right they the greatest thing is if somebody tells yo I found myself in this kind of a situation again, you know, that quite frankly speaking of, you know, therapists and all that gives me anxiety, makes me freeze, you know, like one of those things where a lot of, you know, little cogs all of a sudden, you know, go together and it puts me in a really difficult spot. And, and I responded to it differently, right? I managed to do this. I managed to avoid doing this and something. So th- th- that's, you know, you can... go you can call this, you know, anecdotal evidence, but that's definitely a sign of progress. So that's how, how I see it. Um, more important, I think, is how can, can you track your progress as a leader? Because like, let's be honest, like not everybody, you know, needs or should have an executive coach and, you know, somebody to track this, but how can you track progress as a leader yourself? And I always think it comes down to two things. The first one is self-reflection. Um, now you're going to roll your eyes like oh yeah sure I'm already doing this and all of that but it's actually h- harder to do this also on a recurring basis that, than we know because we're so busy with so many other things and you really need need to take a moment to, to zoom out and what What, what I like to do with a lot of these things is, you know, it's just don't shoot for the stars and do like the most elaborate version of this. If you can do the five to 10 minute version of this, this is, this is already 80% of your battle. Um, and in order to do that, you just find a couple of questions that you ask yourself on a regular basis, like every other Friday or so. Right. And you ask yourself stuff like, how am I doing? Like, honestly, and then you write down the answer, right? What went well? Okay. What's most difficult for me? That's always interesting, right? So because th- there are going to be things that are difficult for you that you wouldn't really want to admit to other people because you know, objectively, they are not difficult. But for you, subjectively, they are super difficult for whatever reason. Um, and then where can I improve? So that's the self-reflection part. The other part is feedback from your team, always, right? Um, going back to the staff meeting and all of that, ask them questions too. Um They're just to see, honestly, asking your team or your direct reports, how am I doing? If you have, you know, certain culture established is great. It, it, It doesn't take anything away from your status or authority. If you ask me, it actually makes you look rather stronger than weaker. If you're entertaining a conversation like this, because you're open to it. And, um, and along the way, you have a great chance to, you know, establish a transparent culture. Um, that will generate many other b- benefits on the business side because you're encouraging your 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 reports and your team members to provide feedback right and uh and and you know bringing things up for discussion and all of that and I can't think of a single business or product or service out there that doesn't benefit from you know transparency and an open uh discussion culture so I think that's an added benefit but yeah bottom line is self-reflection and feedback from your team
0: thats how you try mm. yeah the, the the asking feedback from from your team is is super important
1: <laughs> and it's so for uh, people that are only listening right now mishka is smiling you know um as in like there there is a there's an underbelly to that
0: answer as in like from personal experience <laughs> no <clears throat> we, we so i've done like multiple different things like what i've found <clears throat> that has been like the best. I actually did this first time in the officer school, like way back. I know I'm, I look super young, but it was it was a, <laughs> it was a few years ago, where um, the way we did it there, and I did it actually now again, like a couple of years later, uh, in a, in a little bit of a different way. But the way we did it there, there was a peer peer feedback giving, like a peer review or peer feedback, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one person walked out of the room giving the space for the rest of the teammates to have a conversation. This was like a team of five or six so very small and, um, all officer candidates. And then the person came in and received the feedback from the rest of the team one by one and just accepted. And then the next person went out and they had a conversation and they came. So we, I did a kind of like a modified feedback session of that. So in, in, um, this is actually in a, in a Mexican restaurant which just happened to, to end up in one you know we're just sitting with it with a couple of drinks. So what we did is like uh, taking turns where you have to say one good thing uh, what what the, uh, what the person is doing and this is like a leadership team and one thing where they could improve. And basically it goes in a way you go like one good thing from everybody and then one thing that improve from everybody. So it takes a while. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's like you get like flushed first because there's so many good things that people are saying like, I really love how you're bringing this, how you're doing that, how you're doing this, how you're doing that. And then you do a full round of like, but. <laughs> and um, it's pretty powerful because, and then you do that for each of the person on the table. And uh, it takes a while, but uh, but it's uh, it's sort of a, I found it as a better way to receive and give feedback because it's a feedback session instead of like, "Hey, bro, how am I doing?" It's like you're good, bro. That's it. <laughs> it's like I'm good. <laughs> so the, you know, yeah, just you know, of course, there's a different connotations, but that's that's how like a normal feedback feels to me. If I just ask, "How am I doing?" You're good. You're good. Everything is fine. Uh, that's not really the feedback.
1: I think you're illustrating something. Very, so first of all, I like that Mexican restaurant setup, but what you're saying <laughs> right now is so. Especially in the beginning, when you start to establish this feedback culture, it's always better to ask specific questions. They still got to be open-ended questions like how or what, right? If you, if you, if you do a do you or a have I or something, then, you know, you from an engineer, you'll just get yes or no. And then all of a sudden, you know, the conversation dies. Um, but you know, how am I doing? You'll just get something generic back. Absolutely. I think how am I doing is a good question for yourself. It might not be ideal. For that kind of situation but if you ask people to specifically name one good thing one bad thing right and all of that uh, that is encouraging because they can probably think of multiple and then they have to make a decision as to as to what they choose um that's one thing that came to mind the other one is uh the group scenario that you described is great and has a lot of benefits because you know there's you know uh, power and numbers and all of that at the same time, there's also always some bias going on, right? So it probably changes your answer. You know, if there's five people in the room, and you'll your answer is probably not going to be exactly the same if you're the first one being asked or the last one being asked. And as a recipient, you can also ask yourself, so if if out of the five people, three people say the mm-hmm. same thing, is this really because they all thought
0: the I, same thing? Or one I, thing, one thing, one thing that I mentioned, the question that those two questions were given in advance. Yeah. So they had a full day to prepare. Okay, great. So the questions, the, all the answers were different uh, because they were prepared. You can say, like, ah, actually, what Nicholas said, pretty yeah, much, correct. Pretty much, I'm there. It's like, no, 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 no. Like everybody pulled their phones out and they had like notes written. So through that, you got a much more in depth uh, answers. Actually, it seems like you got something really good out of it, right? Yeah, it's uh, the the like it's it was it brings people together. It it builds the the, uh, the culture of feedback. It starts very positive, and it ends with a lot of constructive feedback that is well received. And because everybody is in on on receiving end, uh, it's it's just uh, overall like a, like a you know a positive feedback session, if you will. Like we've <laughs> we've ended up for that. Like yeah, I said, like <laughs> like for example, for our CTO <laughs> CTO because he's like um, he's a uh, what we call, um, how would I would say like a rescuer, if, if you know what I mean, it just jumps in on everything and kind of, you know, through that very vocal kind of wants to avoid some things and so forth. So uh, like in that feedback session, we, we agree. He doesn't listen to this. Uh, we agreed on like him having like coins in his pocket that he has, has to like, um, you know, shift them from one pocket to another, uh to to pay for the time that he's speaking so just be quiet more (laughs) and listen more and don't jump into situations let people fail and and only after that kind of correct and these type of things and it was like well received uh because it was like uh just people like we're making insights as, as we're watching each other work so i think that's great and that's a great example by the way a really good one yeah, yeah, well, well, I've I've gotten coaching. So here's another example: do coaching people, <laughs> anyways. So uh, what uh, what I wanted to ask is is this sort of a Steve Jobs model of leadership that seems to be so popular? I like it's crazy because it is horrible. Even if you read the book Steve Jobs, like he's an absolute asshole and a maniac, and like nobody wants to work with him. And uh, apparently. Uh, I never met the person and, you know, rest in peace and everything, amazing products. But just based on the book, like not a nice person, not a, based on the movies, not a nice person. Uh, and then when I'm looking, other people kind of emulate that type of a thing where they feel like leaders, CEOs, that they feel that they can come in, randomize everything, feel that their word is the most important word and they can be assholes as well. Like that's some kind of a, because Steve Jobs did it. It's like, how, how did this happen? Have you, have you seen this yeah so it's hard to judge steve jobs's leadership
1: style i think just that i read the book too it's a while ago yeah. and um and so I, I i know what you're referring to and that probably everybody in the audience does you know that's what he was known
0: for um and micromanagement like endless micromanagement
1: yeah whether it, he was guilty of endless micromanagement i'm not in a position to judge what what he was certainly known for was an authoritarian style of leadership, yeah right like this yeah. this this patriarchy is just like you know and i think you know the, the visionary and in many ways you know kudos to him genius that he was you know there was that but um Micromanaging is is obviously something that is uh, is is omnipresent in this world, and uh, and what I always find difficult is that uh, you know so on, on on the one hand you know people micromanage their teams and then at the same time they're demanding you know strong minded individuals that can run things on their own and you know and they have agency and they do all of these things and yada yada yada, um so uh, that's pretty commonplace um. So what happens? Uh, Usually there's big talk about, you know, what I just said, you know, demanding agency, self-sufficiency, you know, we are a company that, you know, promotes, you know, these kind of guys and we have, you know, a very open door policy and flat hierarchy and blah, 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 and titles don't mean anything and all of that mumbo jumbo, you know, and you are, you know, in charge and decision making and transparency and essentially you are the mini CEO, you know, of your own division and that's how you do things, right? okay, that sounds great. I think that's what we all want. But then what happens is that the boss shows up on every call, right? He's in every single Slack channel, you know, and, and by, by, and, and he's always like controlling and, 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 you know, it's it's like always this, you know, father figure kind of, uh, you know, uh, person. And, and what happens is that, you know, it starts with seeding doubt and eventually it just amounts to, you know, showing a lack of trust. And, uh, there's always this thing, you know, don't, don't judge people by what they say, but, you know, judge them by what they do. So you can talk that talk all day long. If you don't follow up with, you know, behavior that supports that, nobody's going to buy it, right? It's just like, and people are, are going to adjust. So the result is that that entrepreneurial mindset, that self-sufficiency, that agency can't, you know, come into full bloom. So the fish stings from the head, as they say. So the bottom line is, if you want entrepreneurial people, well, you got to get used to the idea that there will be screw-ups. You mentioned that before, you know, people fail, people mess up. That's just the way it goes. Um, So as a leader, um, you got to establish a culture where it's okay to occasionally mess up. Um, The opposite is, if you punish people, you're guaranteed to choke their drive and end up with a bunch of risk-adverse, skittish, blind followers that just say yes all day long. And uh, no fantastic team that has amazing output and is really worth its money has ever been you know, grown on, on, on that kind of soil. Um, so the, the difference is really between you made a mistake versus you are a failure, Right. Like mistakes are being made. They have to be addressed. We have to learn from them and do all of these things. That's okay. But if I'm micromanaging you, um, if I start doing that after you messed up once or something, then that suggests, you know, you're a failure. You can't be trusted. I mean, I know you have kids. I have kids. It's it's actually not that different, right? From uh, from doing these kind of things with your kids. And, uh, you know, just like supporting the idea that... Um, Yeah, that I trust you, you know, with whatever it is that you're doing.
0: Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new, untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and regain control over distribution, Exola Webshop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro/doF, or go to the link in this podcast description. Let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops. Now we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games, and I'm sure you got the People part covered, but how fantastic your tools truly are. Well, listen. If your game is made with Unity, you need to check out Beamable. Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks, with visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep all your server code in C-sharp means life is simpler for your programmers and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because deconstructor of fun told you so. Yeah, and, and this is like a coaching approach to leadership because with kids, there's a good example. So... Um, When you want to get something done, like let's say you're you're coming home with your kid from daycare, whatever, driving, and you want things to go smoothly as they get back home. One thing is you could come home and just start yelling what to do next. Do this, do that, take shifts, and then it just turns into chaos. Another thing is you coach your kid. You'd be like driving like, hey, so when we get home, what's the first thing we're going to do? And then they're like, do the, mm, what we should do before that. And like, well, this, oh, good, good what we should do next. And like, we should do that next. And then kind of like you basically construct and coach the the kid through through the whole process where they underline the roadmap of coming to home and, and doing all the right things. And then they execute it and they feel happy because they kind of came up with that plan as you coach them through. Works way better than micromanaging and screaming at them and telling them what to do. And then they start rebelling. So, same thing at
1: work. Uh, honestly, I, I believe so too. It's the same thing. It's uh, there's the striking, and you know, is, is 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 that is it actually so striking? I mean, they're all humans, right? Kids are just yeah. way more raw, right? So, yeah, exactly. They're, 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 there's no strategy involved with you know their behavior. It's just like you you you, you see what you get, and um, and then yeah, it's, it's 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 exactly as you say. So, for a lot of people, however, you're going back to the coaching thing, what I see is that. In order to do that, right? In order to you know wean off from that micromanaging and that urge to—it's a control urge. Bottom line is it's control. You know, it's it's like it's 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 the it's the compulsion you know to be involved to control everything because you know certain people I guess can't be trusted. Um, trusting people obviously comes with risks, and uh, and in order to assume these risks, you know a lot of people really have to get out of their comfort zone. And by the way. Getting out of your comfort zone, that's where all the learning is always, not only in this department, but in general, you know, staying in your comfort zone, not going to, you know, acquire that many new insights and skills, but you have to get out of it. Um, So yeah, trusting people comes with risk. But what what I always like to tell clients um, is that by not trusting them, um, that actually does not only come with a risk, but that comes with a high level of certainty that you're babysitting, you know, you're micromanaging will become a self fulfilling prophecy and the people that you so want to grow and assume responsibility and all that won't build that self sufficiency muscle that you really want and that's actually not even a risk that is that is actually a cause and effect that is is yeah almost going to become reality with with 100% certainty so that's what you have to consider um question for you how do you Good. balance the two for your team, the micromanaging versus the, uh, you know, encouraging uh,
0: self-sufficiency and agency and letting them screw up. It's, it's difficult. Like when, when I'm answering these things, it's like, I've learned th- things due to my mistakes, which is not the best way to <laughs> learn uh, best ways to learn from other people's mistakes. Uh, but um, I think, I think it's just, it's, it's just, it's just really important to understand that that's how things scale. Like you have to let, Others do the work, and you have to trust the team that you've built. And if you can't trust the team that you've built, then you've built the wrong team. That's that's really how how it works, and that's in the end, you're in charge of that. So, what what I've been seeing with the, with the micromanagement, whether I've done it myself, which I have, uh, or whether it's been done to me, which has been done uh, by by other leaders, is it start. I think it started with this fallacy, and I'm kind of gonna piggyback a little bit to joe kim's uh latest uh podcast episode as well as youtube game makers youtube channel really good one uh, as well as the podcast uh he had a couple of ceos as guests and they were talking about what makes a good ceo and then i think he asked him a question is like can you can you uh give an example of a good ceo that is you know that that you admire or whatever the question was and and the the folks were giving as an example, CEOs of companies that that succeeded in the market, and while that is a correlation of a good CEO, that's not necessarily a correlation of a good leader, if you know what I mean. Uh, and and I would I would go back to like a, an example like trad- traditional Navy SEAL um, Hell Week example where they you know run to the sea, the young kids run to the sea carrying the boat. And then it's like a competition. If you come in last, you have to do more laps. Just exhausting, horrible drill. And what they do there is they change the captain of the losing team with the captain of the winning team. And what happens is that the losing team becomes the best team and the uh, the winning team usually becomes the second best team. So meaning that the worst captain... Can still bring down the the good team so bad that they would be the worst team, but a great captain can make the worst team the best team, and and that's what I what I kind of refer to is like okay, you can see the success of Apple. Doesn't mean that Steve Jobs is a great leader, you know, as as a people leader. Like of of course, you know, maybe that's a bad example. Not a great leader. I think as a product and visionary leader, that cannot be
1: disputed. and uh and i can also see you know how just these two things have so much appeal right that that people would want to work with and for him. But I agree. This is not indicative of, you know, what was, 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 was he great at, you know, running a company? And I think the question is always...
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe Steve Jobs is just a bad example. So Steve Jobs is a unicorn. We well, shouldn't talk but about But I think Steve what Jobs you're generally saying
1: like a, is if, if you're only basing it, you know, based on,
0: on market numbers,
1: right? Like on, yeah, on, on, exactly. On measurable exactly. success. Then you're not asking the question at what cost that came. Right? Because you yeah. can say, oh, this company is so fantastic and you know, it got acquired for a gazillion dollars or it's publicly traded and blah 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 exactly. blah. And yet, let's say it had a workforce of ten thousand people, or maybe easier numbers. Let's say it had a thousand people. Um and the question is, yeah, with a different leader, could the could have the same success been achieved, you know, with seven hundred and fifty people or five hundred, right? Because it would have generated yeah, a more coherent yeah. team and all of that. I think that's a that's a good question to ask. That um, is uh, is sometimes you know left out.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then I, I kind of was remembering the book. I think it was from the uh, the Horowitz book of of what you do is who you are. Uh, they were talking about another CEO that, whose company failed, but everybody considered that CEO to be the best CEO because people loved working with. Yeah, him. And, and if I had and failed. they yeah, his company the outside
1: failed. of his control. Exactly. The start, as we see all the time, you know. Some companies, let's be honest, you know, ha- had a good setup, but hit it big because the scars magically aligned, right? And some companies yeah, had everything yeah, going they for got themselves. Lucky. And, uh, and then, you know, for whatever reason, market forces COVID and you'd know what, it, it it just didn't work out. I've, I've hear, I mean, I've heard just recently so many crazy stories how, you know, stuff fell apart, like literally because, uh, you know an investor, like the lead investor had a terminal cancer diagnosis. And obviously that guy is very yeah. busy with other things than that. And then, you know, and then you have a domino effect and, you know, what was, what was about to absolutely take off and be great. Then within a matter of five weeks became insolvent and ran out of money. And there you go.
0: And, uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so that was, that was basically the point is like we tend to do quite easily look at the sort of a superficial or financial success, and correlate that directly to the leadership with the leadership qualities, which has a correlation one hundred percent, but it's not that only, and 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 I think it's it's it, and that was kind of like, um, you know, there's there's many unsung heroes. Let's put it this way, uh, <laughs> that that have that offer plenty to to learn from. So. So it was, uh, yeah, anyways, I don't don't know where I was leading, but I was kind of probably leading towards, uh, people kind of mimicking the Steve jobs approach, uh, just because they saw this, this unfathomable success of, you know, a truly visionary leader that gave his life, uh, of, of improving and making fantastic products. And yes, probably wasn't the nicest person out there, uh, but succeeded. And they were kind of like, well, I don't need to be nice. You know, I can just be a total asshole, but as long as like I I deliver it, and the same thing kind of happens when we watch the movies or whatever. There's these leaders who are like giving it all, and I think that leads to that micromanage. Like I'm giving it my all. Like I'm, I want to read every email. I want to be in every Slack thread. I want to give my comments everywhere to show that I'm putting in the work and I am the leader because I'm working. I'm the hardest worker in the room that type of approach, and that's counter counterproductive.
1: It, it is absolutely counterproductive, but I'm still going to take the other side. I doubt that jobs... I mean, I don't know, but I doubt that jobs with micromanaging yeah. because I can't see if he was... First of all, he was way too busy for that. Uh, Apple was way yeah, too big. Yeah. And, and I doubt that, you know, it could have become what it became already, you know, when, when he passed away or uh, 10 years ago, um, you know, if he would, would have been like a, a micromanager. W- what I think... It, is, is certainly debatable was his uh, my way or the highway approach, right? I mean, you can say success, you know, has proved them right. And the, you know, the, the result justifies the means and all of that. But um, maybe the right approach is not to say, you know, what's right or wrong or preferable or not, but just understand that there are different ways to get to the same point.
0: Yeah. And, and um, or just, just say that, that we're talking about an exception. That proves the rule, rule. because if you if you there's not that many leaders who have done that way and have succeeded. There's plenty of leaders who have done exactly the same way and had a catastrophic. They had the team walk
1: out on them, like literally,
0: yeah, or just or just made bad decisions and they were the only ones were making like like that's and I think that's the important part is like it's like with everything else we we don't look at the anomaly and say like we should do exactly what the anomaly does. Uh, Well, in some cases. But, but in, the, in these type of cases where it comes to leadership, which happens at literally every company, uh, I think it's important to look at, you know, the volume of what works rather than, than something that is being done very differently and, and try to mimic that. Supercell, by the way, is another great example of a company that has been run in a very unique way. And you saw so many companies trying to mimic their organization structure. And everybody failed. And guess what? There's only one Supercell. so like why are you trying to do something that is not your way of leadership not your style because everybody saw the fins
1: apparently you work 40 hours a
0: week take
1: six weeks vacation in the summer and still create a clash of clans and uh uh, you know clash (laughs) royale and heyday and just beat everybody you know out of the water and it's just like well, why don't we do it that way, right? But as you said, it's not yeah. that easy and it's not it cannot just be replicated, you know, based on a on a yeah. fancy article that somebody wrote, like oh, the five secrets to supercell success.
0: Yeah. And and that's and that's that's what I'm kind of leading to is like whether we're talking about Creativity Inc. that caused another type of a havoc where havoc where where people were reading this Ed Gatman's book and and you know, the um what do you call the the council, you know, where where there was a council that everybody gave feedback, whatever. Uh, and that company started to try to mimic what they've read from one book and not going deeper to that and just had catastrophic results of like trying to bring one element out of it. And I guarantee that, that a lot of companies will have also catastrophic results by taking tidbits out of Netflix's, uh, leadership yep. model, putting that to work, um, and, and not kind of getting the big picture. and Not not even talking to, to anybody from Netflix. Like, hey, uh, hey, guys, how does this really work? It's like, we <laughs> <Yeah, but because> must <laughs> just know, to read pick, a book.
1: Pick up on the Netflix model. It, it doesn't start with, oh, we just blindly trust everybody, right, to an unreasonable yes. amount. So, you know, one day you show up at your <laughs> office and it's like, like, Paul, Lucy, Nancy, Peter, you know, I'm out. You guys just do your thing or whatever. Yeah. It takes a lot of groundwork, you know. And now we're going back to, you know, yes. the the proverbial company culture and all of that to establish this so that that is then, you know, you know, that's the outcome that you're thriving for. Um, but, but the work starts way, way earlier and from the ground up. So absolutely you you cannot just, you know, take like these individual bits and pieces and, 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 and try to shoehorn them into you know, a, a company.
0: Yeah. Exactly, and 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 first of all, you have to have your leadership committed to that, and kind of uh, getting it from the top and and, and bringing it to your organization. Um, listen, I'll I'll be honest. Like I've taken things out of Netflix book because they're just so fantastic. The feedback loop is is phenomenal, and and some of the other other things. So we'll see if that causes catastrophic effects. But I was uh I was You'll I was very. Back. I'll, I'll report back. Uh, I'll do. I always do. <laughs> So uh, I will tell what happened, but uh, but but uh, but it's a fantastic book. Anyway, so one another part, like I talked about the Steve Jobs, uh, or sort of not the Steve Jobs, maybe what I was insinuating towards is why do so many leaders look at at anomalies, these unicorns, and be like, this is the way that should be that the companies or or teams should be led because Steve Jobs made the best products, so I'm going to be exactly like him in in all the bad. And maybe in all the good, but mainly in all the bad, <laughs> and and we see this kind of happening with with others, like naming different type of CEOs that have financially successful companies as of today, and just on like thinking that that because of their strategic thinking, uh, that's you know that's that's the way to 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 uh, to be a lead. Uh, but the second thing that I want to talk about, like, what do you do when when your reports uh, kind of focus on pleasing the leader instead of pushing the company forward? Uh, the first thing you do is notice, which is already very
1: hard for a lot of people, right? So, But it's so nice to be pleased. Correct. And it's so nice to feel important and to <laughs> feel, you know, unfallible and all of these things. No, but the, the first thing is, you know, really asking yourself, so what are all of these guys doing? Are they actually trying to please me if I'm the leader or are they trying to push the company forward? And in some ways, you know, then you can say, well, I'm the, you know, CEO or the founder here. I want to push the company forward. So in pleasing me, you know, that's the same thing, but it's not really, um, because the one, so meaning the one where you, you know, trying to, to, to please your boss, please the leader, that's a culture of promoting yourself while covering your own butt. Right. So that's essentially, Hey, Mishka is my boss right i want to make sure that he's happy with me and what i do and all of that because i you know want to be on his good side i want to be promoted i want to get you know more responsibility and i don't want to get in trouble right that's very different from um from uh the idea of i'm going to do what i believe is right for the company is right for the product is right for my division and all of that even if some of these things might be at odds with you know what my boss thinks is more important right now i'm willing to stand up for my opinion all of that it goes back to what we spoke about earlier um you know what's your culture you know uh, is is it okay to screw up right is it okay to you know say you know yay when everybody else is saying nay um is it okay to actually Tell your superior that uh, that you disagree, you know, and do things differently. And will they, you know, let you run with that? Or is this one of those where you will be punished for these things, right? And um, uh, and by the way, it doesn't actually require for you to be punished for these things. If you see two of your co-workers being punished for these things, you immediately adapt yourself, right? So um, that's another thing, you know, as far as leading by example goes. You know, if you, if you have a team of 10, and you treat one or two people like that; it'll take no time, and everybody else will follow suit. So that's something to to keep uh, in mind. So um, what I'm saying is the the, the fish stings from the head, right? If you have that kind of, uh, of of workforce, if people are really trying to please you, then it's most likely because you're you're demanding that, right? And so the question is, what are you demanding? What are they witnessing? How do the others get treated? Um, and others does not only mean team members. It can also mean customers or suppliers, anybody, right? Like, well, what kind of conversations are going on when when X, Y, or Z is not in the room? And, um, and, and, and people pick up on this, right? By the way, since we talked about kids before, same thing, right? Absolutely same thing. Um, so... Question is, what can you do to do the other thing? And uh, that brings us back to, you know, Netflix and and all of these different very successful approaches uh, uh, in that regard um, that that we know about. Um, I think y- you can universally say people should be in the business of trying to push the company forward, and it doesn't really matter if that's a ten people or a ten thousand people company. But I think the smaller the company, the more important that is this should be less political and you know more everybody you know pulling in the same direction um at the expense of friction at the expense of screw ups at the expense of all of these things but in the long run i think you're you're much better off with that and uh, you know rather also ask yourself what does it say about me if you know the 10 people or you know whoever works with me are all in the business of trying to please me what does that say about
0: Well, I don't know. Does that make you look cool or not? I've seen so many, not so many. I've seen a handful of CEOs that have yes men, just teams of yes men. And they're, they're, by the way, successful companies. Successful companies, again, very successful companies. You'd be like, really? It's like, yes. Uh, Just yes, yes. Left and right. Yes, yes. And it's just, it's confusing. And everybody sees it. And what happens to all the what What happens to all the ones that are not yes sayers? There, there's no none of those.
1: Well, they they eventually all leave, <laughs> right? All of the exactly ones that, that that really have a spine and want to do something and maybe are you know leadership slash CEO material themselves. Eventually, they they'll find a different playground because it's just not working. So that's how it becomes very homogenous, you know, and very undisputed.
0: And also, you set the rule of how to climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. So just by pleasing the big boss, yeah, by sucking up, exactly. So,
1: and, and, and then you, you know. get rewarded not for for your merits, but you get rewarded for you know tenure, or you get rewarded
0: yeah. for you know like, like all, all the wrong reasons. Which all right, yeah. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll I'll be so the, okay. Uh, no names, uh, <laughs> but once I was um, was at a company where we were coached to talk to the the, the the executive uh <laughs> by by his team it's like okay so you have to do this you have to say this and like so just making sure that the meeting goes well and this was a, of course a big company mm-hmm. uh but but yes like that that happened and um there were just yes men who were coaching us to be yes men uh without probably the executive even knowing like this is how we communicate with this executive and that was the culture in the organization like like you couldn't get any kind of a um i mean you could And I did, but, um, but it was, it was like weird. I called it, I called it the, uh, corporate RPG. It's like, (laughs) how many hit points? (laughs) No, it's like, it it was, it was more like it was more like playing Diablo. You'd walk in and somebody tells you a story like, Oh, on this one, there's this. Do you want to take this mission? Or like, here's how you fight the big boss. It's like, somebody's coaching you how to approach this, this boss battle.
1: So it's almost and, like somebody, it's like, like
0: back in the day you
1: know before the the internet, right I'm old enough, you know you had the cheat book right or you had the walkthrough yes. that you found in the local video yeah. game magazine right
0: it's just like how how you, how how to beat the end boss yeah it was just funny it was just funny but but you know that that's that's how the company worked um one thing that I also wanted to ask a question about is process versus buy-in because you know, I, I like I like le- le- reading um, all kinds of leadership books, but uh, one of my favorites one are of course the uh, the more of like a army type of a thing, like military, uh, because you know not not because like it's the guns or that kind of stuff. They they're not about that because I think military is very interesting. Having served as well is because it's just gigantic organization. It's very hierarchical, but it also functions in extreme pressure. And with extreme consequences and gets things done. And when, if the military doesn't get things done, the, I mean, the consequences are life threatening. It's, it's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's horrifying. So they have a very process driven leadership model, um, which of course works in large organizations, but probably doesn't work that well in smaller organizations. But anyway, like what's, what's your take?
1: Well, first of all, I think the, um, the military uh, approach that you just described, you know, is, is, is something to think about. And, and obviously, yeah, it's a gigantic organization that has to, you know, work uh, during times of, you know, high stress and uncertainty and all of that. Um, there's also a constant fluctuation with, you know, team members and all of that, you know, new recruits and all of that. So, um, in order to make that machine run, you just have to lay some basic ground rules, right? Hierarchy is important, right? And and you, 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 you cannot afford to engage in a, you know, touchy feely back and forth around, you know, how you, how you do this. So I think that makes perfect sense. But then I think it's also important to recognize that, um, if we stay in the video game world, uh, none of these are really, you know, military organizations. And also, yes, <laughs> we, we might have the fantastic, gigantic, you know, Christmas uh, marketing campaign scheduled, but it, it's still a different urgency than, you know, on, on, a, on a battlefield. So, uh yeah, smaller and bigger organizations definitely make it different. But uh, I'll say this. There's endless literature about work processes, right? Um, mentioned the military type. There's also the, so you can you, you'll 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 find whatever it is you're looking for, and a lot of it makes a ton of sense and can be very successfully applied. Um, the issue that I'm seeing is so first of all, there's a high temptation. You know, so you read the fantastic leadership book, right? Or Somebody tells you about this and that, blah blah approach. You take the webinar, right? And so there's a high temptation to prescribe a certain process to your team to do X and accomplish Y. like, hey, folks, listen, this is how things are going to be do- done now, right? And you're thinking org chart or, you know, responsibilities, you name it, you know, and then you do that. Um, the issue is, as always in life, there's no one-size-fits-all solution. Um, that is true for, you know, different companies. So what works in company A doesn't necessarily work in company B, uh, goes back to what we just talked about Netflix, right? You can't just pick this one thing. Oh, everybody, you know, we we just trust everybody. No, no, no. They, they did a lot of groundwork in order to get there. Um, the other thing is, uh, no one size fits all as far as your team members go. Uh, if you have 10, 20, 50 people, you know, there will be different skill set, different personalities, different levels of experience, and all of that. And you have to somewhat, uh, you know, I guess adapt to all of these. So, what you need to ask yourself is what drives my decision making when it comes to processes? Uh, is it what makes more sense to me, or is it what's best for the team? The Steve Jobs character that you described, you know, so vividly before would say, "What's automatically best for my team? But I think generally, it's a, it's a good question to ask. And then the, the thing is, okay, so if I really want to do what's best for my team, how do I get there? And the answer is once again, by involving your team, you know, asking questions like, hey, Joey, how would you do this? Right. So we having, we, we, this is the goal, you know, this is where, where we want to get, you know, how do you suggest we get there? And then you do that with five others, right? What angle would you take? Right. Where would you start? Um, the nice thing is that that doesn't take a lot of time, but you get tons of valuable information, right? So you just standardize, for example, these questions, you have three questions that you ask all of them. And, and, um, and, and there are a lot of different, you know, benefits. Um, Most importantly, by involving people, you get more buy-in into whatever the result is, whatever the consensus is in the end. Even if there's no consensus and you say, sorry, guys, I got all of these different answers. This is how we're going to do it. You're still going to get more buy-in from the individuals if they were kind of part of the process before. That's number one. Number two, very high chances that you will come up with a better solution um if you involve the feedback and if you hear you know how how some of those guys that work on this day in day out were, would approach it rather than you just you know blindly follow the book or the article that you just read i think that's you know pretty likely and then um uh yeah and 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 then it's just so processes are great but i think they're completely worthless unless the people that the processes apply to at least somewhat buy into the process right if um going back to your, your 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 Mexican restaurant, you know, thing, if you would have been sitting there and everybody would have thought before, it's like, these questions are stupid. I don't want to talk to him, blah, blah, blah. And you sit there and it's like, okay, guys, so today this is what we're going to do. And there's just your crickets and no answers and all of that. Yeah, I still think it's a really good idea and a great process. But if the five people you want to do it with are not having it and have very different thoughts... What have you gained? Nothing. You just wasted a lot of time and probably alienated this more. So that's how, how I, I go about this. There are a lot of great processes, but you should always, you know, have at least one eye towards, you know, how do I make people buy into this process? And, and, and the, the easy way is just involve them, ask questions and, but understand that, you know, you don't have to do what they do, but it's still very, very valuable, um, to involve them and get their feedback.
0: Yeah, I, I understand. It's like I call it more like instead of buying, I call it context. Uh, it's like very important that, that people share the same context and, and can make decentralized decisions under the same information. And I, I see it breaking. Like I, I, it's always so clear that 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 the uh, that the context has broken somewhere along the line because even you know it goes from from the uh, the C staff to you know game le- game leadership team. To down to the uh, the execution level individual of individual artists, artists right, and programmers, yeah. and the more senior staff you have, the more clear you will see that the context is not going down to to every level because they will be like, "Why am I doing this?" Yeah, or "Who made this decision?" Or is is like a typical "Why was this decision done without me?" Uh, why wasn't I heard? And those kind of questions, and it's like, okay. So this is not that the process is is broken per se, but the context hasn't been delivered, and usually it ends up with like, "Do you have one on ones with your lead?" No, huh? Interesting. And then it's like, and then it's it's like now you know, and they don't talk about everything.
1: But I think you're making a really good point, right? So as as soon as there, are, you know, three or more levels uh, of you know organizational structure. And if the second level is already not buying into like this concept, so now I'm, I I have this thing and I'm supposed to prescribe this to my 10 little ducklings here, but I don't believe in it.
0: What what good is that going to do? Right? Well, yeah, there's, there's, of course, there's the believe in it. That's, that's very important. So, so yeah, we're talking about two different things. but, what I mean by believe in it is like I wasn't
1: yeah. involved in it, yeah. Know? But yeah, I, I'm lacking the context, I don't really know why it is that we are doing this because it is at odds of what I think we were doing or what my goal is, right? And and now I'm supposed to get everybody on board for you know X, Y, and Z, although I'm lacking contest, therefore I don't believe in it. I wasn't involved in the decision, and even if he's a he or she is a great actor, you know, the people underneath will sense you know that lack of. I called it buy-in, right, and all of that. Yeah. So, um, once again, no one-size-fits-all, no, no, no golden bullets here. Just a whole bunch of lead. But you are, I think, in all situations, well-advised if there is a certain level of transparency and dialogue going on before these kind of, you know, changes are made and you know trickle down, you know, from the top of the pyramid. And uh, as you said, more often than not, you don't have that, and it never works out. It
0: just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's more like yeah, you find these things mainly by just listening. It's it's the 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 easiest way just to listen what's going on, and um and you can kind of see that that there's some some you know some channels are not firing at all or cylinder or some. Anyway, so like you you find those only by listening. It's it's hard to to hear those if you're always talking. That that's that's what I basically mean. Yeah. Um, Okay. Two more questions. What's more, what's the, uh, the most important for a leader? Is it skill or passion? If you had to, it's hard to choose one, right? And by I, skill, I, I mean like a s- no, skill. I, I, in, I know
1: what, in, what you mean. I just have to, you know, yeah. gather my thoughts. I think, um, I think that's a question that's somewhat philosophical. And, and I also think that's a question that goes beyond just leaders, but really applies to all team members. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting from 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 a certain reality and by the way i think defining reality is always important as a leader something we haven't talked about before but you know i think that is one of the you know pivotal points of you know good leader versus bad leader you know are you speaking truth um are you telling your guys what's really going on right as opposed to you know sugarcoating making up stories you know omitting crucial information and all of that even if you know whatever it is that you have to share is unpleasant nasty daunting or or, or so forth um I, I think great leadership always comes with you know painting a, a realistic picture of uh, of the environment but be that as it may um we all have to find face the reality that work is uh time consuming and not always fun right it's our occupation but it, it it's they are, they are, yeah, there there. there Yeah, will be good days and bad days. There will be obstacles. There will be setbacks. So if that's the situation that we all face, then there is the understanding of, you know, if you want to thrive as an organization, people will need to grow. That's a basic requirement for pretty much everybody involved. And that means they have to get out of their comfort zone because that's where all the learning happens. So as a leader, I think you need to be able to adapt. Um, which in turn means that existing skills only go so far, right? Yeah, you can say adaptivity is a skill. Okay, we, we can have that discussion. But generally, um, you know, adaptivity means you you have to have to open up. You know, you have to listen more more than you speak, and uh, and and you have to be willing to you know adjust and change based on the situation that you find. So. What comes to mind is something else that uh, that that you said earlier, um, you know, is, 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 it that, uh, is it maybe that I hired the wrong team? And I think that's really where a way to answer this question, you have to ask yourself, do, who do I hire? And how do you weigh in hiring existing knowledge compared to someone's motivation to be there? Right? Um, realistically, everybody on the team will need to learn when they assume a new position and if they don't, well, that's a different story. Right. But I think that applies to the very leader of the team, as well as to, you know, team members, you know, that, that are further down the chain. Um, game industry, by the way, is a great example. So if you're hiring, you know, a, uh, 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 doesn't really matter what, you know, product manager, or programmer or something, right? You obviously want some experience and some skills that are there that qualify somebody for that job. But I think a big reason you're looking for somebody that is experienced in what it is that you do is not that they have programmed the exact same thing before, right? That they have built that exact type of game before. Yes, that might be good. But what, what, what it is that you're really looking for is like, you want somebody who has been, you know, through the you know, ideally, you know, multiple iterations of, you know, game development and all of that. And so that they know that whatever they think this was going to be for the next 12 months, it's going to be very different because that's just like uh, the reality. And and I think then you are usually better off with somebody that is super highly passionate about what it is they do. And yes, they bring the experience to the table rather than somebody that, you know, checks every single box on the skills that are required for this project. because the first, I think, comes with more adaptivity and willingness to learn and get out of your comfort zone than the other one, where you more often than not see people like, well, this is how I've always done this. I'm the expert, you know, and uh, my way or the highway. So um, I like to, it, it's hard to decide between the two because you need both. But I think oftentimes people can get um, blinded by, uh Resumes, you know, that seem to check all of the right boxes and then kind of overrule their gut feeling that that guy is not here for the right reason. And that then usually comes, uh, in, you know, to bite you back, uh, when, when you're looking for somebody to lead a team or to be an integral member of an existing team. So hiring should very much be a process of discovery, meaning discovering the right people rather than a process of persuasion. It's like, Oh, you have all of these skills. Let me tell you why it is. Great, um, what we do over
0: here, and and we're talking about leads because there are individual contributors to where hiring based on resumes extremely important because you're looking for a subset, you're looking for a tool. But with a lead, I, I agree with you 100. Uh, passion is most important. You can't be like, well, it's you know another run in the mill. You know, like let's, let's just do it again. Let's kind of bring it in and it like I I know that I've I've said no to. Uh, to uh to you know pretty good offers because i just didn't feel passion of what would be made even though there were other things that were you know great whether it's compensation whether it's the um you know the uh, autonomy that is giving uh but still the uh, the kind of like Social casino. Uh, so
1: if, if you don't have passion towards that type of do, stuff. you don't want to do you don't want to spreadsheet spreadsheet based you know live ops and promos seven days a week. Or what are you talking about? Yeah,
0: and and it is like and nothing bad to that. But if you don't feel passionate about social casino and and especially passion towards the audience, like understanding really what the who the audience is, like do I want to you know hit this plus fifty year olds with uh, with you know. With, with crazy amount of uh, spending and is this you know is this what i want to do and some people say yes it's highly interesting it's these are complicated products uh with with you know a lot of math involved and a lot of you know compulsory elements it's a very but
1: it's a completely different setup than you know an rpg
0: yeah. or something yeah
1: exactly so anything that
0: but, is story-based yeah and, and if you're playing those games you'd be like i don't really like this and then if if you don't feel like it, then just don't do it. Nah, even though it pays really well, or just do it and get paid really well, and then do something fun and, and learn about. <laughs> I,
1: mean, I I I mean, not to sidetrack this, but uh, you know, for previous things that I, I did, and and you know, some of our customers, I at some point mm. got pretty involved in social casino, uh, namely um, poker and slot machines. And, uh, and, and if you, you know, open the hood, it is super fascinating because it's a very different kind of game to run. And also, you know, what you learn about these players and all of that. Yeah. But I, I bottom line is you, you should be organically interested in that and not just because it's the job right now. Um, exactly. Exactly. It can't be like, because
0: any it role, really whether well.
1: it's a product or a team lead or something. Absolutely. You should, you know, this, this should scratch an itch rather than, you know, I don't really care. Um, that's going to be hard in the long run.
0: It was a long podcast. Last question, three books to read for, for anybody, for anybody. Wow. Well, well, anybody listening to this, who anybody who who, who, who has, who have gone through the funnel and be like, you know what? I want to hear more. Um, Yeah. We've lost a lot of people, (laughs) but, but but those those at the end.
1: Yes. Those at the end. So three books. Um, And they are all going to be related to what we talked about. So Never Split the Difference is an awesome book. Uh, That is uh, written by a guy who is a former lead hostage negotiator for the FBI. And he just opens up this world, not only of hostage negotiation, but generally of negotiation. And as you can imagine, that has everything to do with understanding humans and how they tick and their needs and human psyche and asking great questions and having good responses, um, and and doing that. And that is a book that I, I really devoured, um, because it, it just, yeah, it, it, it's really fascinating and it's very, very relevant to a lot of the things that we do here. And the coolest thing is that, you know, even if you've read the book, All of the strategies and techniques and all that he's describing, you know, still totally work if somebody does that to you because I'm also human and I actually in many ways want to be treated like this, right? Um, So that's a book I absolutely love, Never Split the Difference. And yes, it's also really, really helpful for, uh, you know, the business side of things. Another one that I think is great is Atomic Habits. Um, That illustrates really well how tiny changes in behavior generate big outcomes, so that goes back to some of the things that we talked about before, namely, um, you know, how, how do you receive feedback from your team, right? You don't need this universal super solution. If you do super small things, right, but you do them frequently and then maybe it only takes you five minutes every other week or something, there will be compound interest and it, it really can generate, you know, Meaningful change and uh, lead to a lot of improvement uh, in your work life and in your real life. So it's it's fascinating because he has a lot of great anecdotal stuff from sports and all of that. How they make tiny changes and the, how that amounts to you know uh, a lackluster you know British cycling team that hasn't won a medal in like a hundred years and then all of a sudden you know they win Olympic gold and and uh, he describes it. That that's one that I think is is fascinating uh, to read. And then another one, um, for anybody who is a little bit interested in coaching, because let's face it, being a team lead is in many ways being a coach, right? In, in sport, they are called coaches, right? In business, they are not, but you do a lot of the, you know, coaching things, uh, uh, when, when you are, you know, sitting, uh, at the helm and, uh, a short and very good book about that is the coaching habit by, I think the author is called Michael Bungay uh b-u-n-g-a-y i believe and and he essentially breaks down you know coaching into seven questions seven very very basic questions uh and and explains you know how, how that work and what does that that does with people and that is you know bang for the buck something really awesome to read uh about coaching and you know very much applies to leading
0: teams and all of that so those would be my three picks All right, I'm going to give readers some some other picks. Those are great. Never Split the Difference, Atomic Habits, Coaching. uh, Atomic Habits and Coaching. The Coaching
1: Habit, I think is what it's called.
0: The Coaching Habit, so two habit. The Coaching Habit. Those are good ones. Um, Never read them, but we'll definitely do that. Uh, My recommendations would be, number one, extreme ownership. So this is like SEALs training, uh, SEAL leadership. So small, small teams with um with just extremely passionate high functioning uh, individuals and how to make them work as a as a as a ruthless execution unit um i i really i really like that there's a there's a podcast by the, by the same same writer it's um it's if you like war stories what they what i love about how that book is written it's a it tells a scenario that happened in somewhere in iraq for example and then it jumps and tells a scenario that happens in a company and you'd be like, that's the same thing, but it's a totally different thing, but it's the same thing. It's the same leadership challenge that was that, that, you know, you read a war story, you'd be like, there's nothing I could take it into a company. And then the same person does consulting, leadership consulting. And he goes into a scenario where, where similar type of situation occurred uh, with a client and, um, and it's, and then it derives into, you know, uh, learning from that, so very entertaining to read because you're not reading only business cases, but you're re- reading war stories. Yeah, so it's l- like a literal war stories, literal war stories by you know, like people getting shot and wounded and getting into like, like how does this relate to my job as an IT company? And like, well, here's an IT company, and then it's like, oh my god, like they talk about decentralized command and um, cover and move. Uh, cover and fire, cover or cover, cover and fire. I think that was one of the concepts that they introduced and makes sense at the army, but it actually makes sense also with different divisions, etc. Uh, when when working in a big company, anyway, extreme ownership, uh, much recommendations. Uh, I think the Horowitz book of what you do is who you are is a pretty entertaining read. Uh, a lot of a lot of cool like stories. It's just interesting to read. Uh, I have, everybody has probably read the the Netflix book of No Rules Rules, so that's a, that's a that's a given. Uh, and I want to throw in a couple other ones. Multipliers is solid book, but very American. Uh, if, if you know what I mean, it's like, uh, it's like a very black and white, very good read, but very black and white. Like people are not of one class or like, there's not like these eight types or five types or so forth, but it can help to make, uh, make the, like understand a little bit better the, uh. Um, different type of leads and how to work with different type of leads because they, it categorizes them a bit black and white, as I said, but, um, but good read. And finally, for those who hate reading, this is the most important one. You, if you hate reading all of the leadership books and you feel that they're all crap and they're too long and too long winded, Patrick Lencioni, every book that he writes on audiobook is about two hours and those are fables. So you're reading a story. That is usually quite entertaining. It's usually based in S they do all these things. And it's a fascinating fable that ends up with like you learning something because somebody told you a story, whether it is a person understanding that they don't actually want to be a CEO or whether it's a it's a person coming in. Funny you say that go, hey,
1: take notes of this, (laughs) Nicholas, in my next company, I don't want to be CEO. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I'll take that that's for a different
0: day, but that's literally what he said. I have the same conversation with with, with some of the companies that, that I've invested or helping with. And and I talked to the to the uh, the CEO and I was like, you know, the company is going I'm like you do you want to be the CEO? They're like, of course. I'm like, okay, let me tell you what the CEO does <laughs> and what you don't do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then and then they're like, and I'm like, don't answer me now. We'll see you in a month, you know. And it's like it's, um, it's, um, it's a different job. I was like, do you want to do a different job that you're doing right now? Your founding team doesn't want you to do the different job because you're really good at what you do and it doesn't make you any worse. And I also use the hockey term because this is Finland. I asked them, is goalie better than the, uh, the, the center? Like they're, they're the same team. There's just a different role. Like, what are you talking about? Like, what well, would you, you don't need to but score. Some be
1: the- people do, right? Chip on your shoulder,
0: all that. But if you're a founder and an owner, you want the company to succeed. You want the yeah. company to succeed because the ownership doesn't change whether you're a founder or a chief product officer or whatnot. Or whether you're a CEO. I agree. Or a chief I very much agree. Yeah. This was good and long. And Nicholas, good to have you on a podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right. We really enjoyed this too.
1: And yes, it was it was it was longer than anticipated, but
0: uh that's how I guess uh, interesting conversations go. Exactly. Exactly. Uh thank you everybody for listening and as always feedback, comments, uh Nicholas's information is in the uh in the description of the podcast. So reach out to him uh because you likely need coaching but you just don't know it yet. So. <laughs> uh, on that note, goodbye everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys